This is Consumed, a scrappy little podcast about life and flavor. I'm your host, Jamie Lewis, a food and wine writer on California's Central Coast. Season two is sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine. Slow Life shares the happenings, stories, and personalities that bring San Luis Obispo County to life. I love writing the food column for the magazine, meeting the people behind my plate, and sharing it with readers. Check your mailbox every other month for inspiring stories about folks you want to get to know, places you want to see, and flavors you want to taste. To learn more about how you can get Slow Life delivered to your door, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Today's guest is someone I've admired for years. Haley Kane brings tons of energy, positivity, and a distinct voice to any project she tackles, from writing about food to touring with her punk band called Haley and the Crushers. Haley was the flavor writer at New Times Weekly in San Luis Obispo for about five years, and there her humor and curiosity articulated this county's food and drink stories. Today she's writing for clients as well as writing a book about her adolescence in Southern California, which she talks about here. But a lot of Haley's time these days is also spent writing, recording, and touring across the U.S. with her band, which is so fun, and you should absolutely listen to it on Spotify and iTunes. Just search Haley and the Crushers. In our talk together, we went deep on the financial reality of being a freelance writer, where Haley gets her beautiful vintage clothes, and what it means to really care about food. I feel like this was sort of a therapeutic session for both of us, and I hope it is for you too. Here's my talk with Haley Kane. Hi, Haley. Hello. You look, you always look impeccable. Where do you, do you sew these dresses or do you find them somewhere? No, I can't sew okay. at all. Yeah. People because ask they're me so that. custom looking. They're so like, they're unusual. I haven't seen stuff like that anywhere else. So when I was a kid, I used to basically never leave the house on time. Same as now, but because I could always had to find the outfit that fit my insides. And so I think I just am always on the look out for the the outfit that's going to like make me feel something. And then that's the outfit I get. And I actually don't have a lot of clothes. Just Mm. the clothes that I have are really like colorful. And so people like I have all statement pieces in my life. Like my whole life all the time. It kind of sucks though. Cause when I want to go neutral, I literally have no neutrals. (laughs) So that to answer your question, my house, (laughs) yeah, a lot of thrifting and like uh, internet stuff, but yeah, that surprises me that you don't have a ton of clothes because I feel like it's a new thing every time I see you. No, I don't have a ton of clothes. I just, I know when to break out the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, you do. It's all editing. It is all <laughs> editing. Um, when I asked you to come on here, I said something like, I want to talk about your, um, your experience as a food critic. And you right away said, I'm not a food critic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think... For listeners that have read my column in the New Times over the past, I guess, five years that I did it, they would also say I'm not a critic. And I, I, I've gotten flack for not being critical. So mm-hmm. I think it's truthful to say that I am, we, we called me a flavor writer, mm-hmm. I think it was my term. And um, I have two reasonings for this. One, I think philosophically, a critic is someone who is on the sidelines that is not necessarily in the game. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't go with that. I don't drive with that. I feel like we're all in this together, especially mm-hmm. artist to artist. I consider myself an artist. Chefs, farmers, uh, these people are artisans. So mm-hmm. I can appreciate different things about what they do. So that's just my philosophy as a creative person. Mm-hmm. Like I've just never been a critic. Um, number two. Um, oh, no, now I'm going to lose my number two. Uh, oh, duh. Number two. Slow is a really small community. Yeah. Um, I liken it to this. What if Glenn Starkey was doing music critic stuff? Okay. How many albums come out in this town a year? Right. A lot. I mean, I guess maybe like 10, like big albums. Right. Um, We live in a bubble Mm -hmm. and I don't think we're a big enough city or county really to have that kind of, I'm going to, you know, hand, hand your butt to you and slice into you Mm -hmm. and say that this service, we don't have career, um, Waiters, like in San Francisco or New York or Berlin, places where people are waiters for a long time and like the service is very important to them. We don't have that. And part of that, what makes Slow cool is that we are this sort of like open door between cities and 
people coming through LA and San Francisco and different people finding themselves in the position of being a chef or being an artisan or uh, working in food service. They stop along right? the way. And yeah. that's why we love it. And that's why we love interviewing these people because yeah. they've had that big change where they go to slow and they make a new life for themselves. Mm. So I think we have a really unique ecosystem. And I don't feel like I was trying to insert myself as the critic of this place and the flavors of this place. I wanted to be more an investigator Mm -hmm. and to find the humanity behind the food. And that's what I always did. And that's what my readers that that do like me or did like me. That's what they always said. Mm -hmm. Thank you for showing the story, not just, you know, how was the pork? Yes. Right. (laughs) So when people gave you flack for that, what did they say? Um, well, I think I have to say that, um, Kathy Marks Hardesty was very loved at New Times and mm-hmm. she was there for 17 years. And I I'm, have nothing bad to say about the way that she wrote or mm-hmm. how she she did things or parsed things, which were more critical, I would say, more on the analytical side of things, more on the traditional food critic side yeah. of things, mm-hmm. where I, I, I'm a millennial and I'm an old millennial. You're, what is it, elder, elder a, millennial? I call it vintage millennial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a vintage millennial. I'm 32. So... Um, Yes, I'm a little bit more rah-rah. I'm a little bit more, let's find the good in everything. Let's Not in everything, but let's find the thing that it makes the thing unique and good, and let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think that rubbed people the wrong way sometimes mm. because, um, yeah, I'm. am I supposed to be the one that's telling you what the best thing to eat in slow is? I didn't see my role like that. Yeah. And I think Kathy did, but Kathy also had more of a breadth of knowledge. She was much older. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, when I came into New Times doing food and wine writing, granted, I'd be, I'd, I've been writing about wine uh, since 2009 mm-hmm. locally, but I was like 24 years old. Yeah. So yeah, I drank before I was legally allowed to drink for yeah. sure. But yeah. like, how much are you expecting me to uh, reference? Of not my days in the year to taste. <laughs> yeah. I, I can say when I'm, you know a young or a fresher perspective. And that doesn't necessarily always mean a good thing. Yeah. So I came at it more like a mosh pit and I was just like, let's get in there and talk to people and let's explore the flavors and the stories and not necessarily like go by the book. Yeah. So that's just how I do my life. So, yeah. And so when you were doing that, um, I mean, what was it like working for new times and having a deadline every week and, and researching your next thing for the next week? It's funny because people like my readers would know what I did more than I did because I would, as you might know, as a content creator yourself, yeah. you almost forget what you did the week before. Yeah, it's really sad like that, actually. I mean, I, I work so hard on something and then I'm only as good as the last thing that came right. out. Right. And you sometimes you find yourself, you like almost forget what yeah. you wrote about like last year, this like the, the last summer. And then right? it shows up and you're like, Um, so new times in general is a great place in terms of, um, personalities and having freedom and a reverence with your voice and allowing, allowing for snarky and allowing for like funkier ideas than you might have in other publications. And so that was really fun. I loved that. Um, I chose pretty early on to be freelance for new times because that New Times office has no windows. You're not a, you weren't a staff writer for that. I was, oh, but you were? I okay. chose to go freelance yeah. and to not work in the office because it has no windows mm. and um, I can't be penned down. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I'm a wild one. Yeah. Um, so that was great. They allowed me that freedom, which I loved. Um, it was great. I mean, I feel like I explored Slow County from tip to tail. Like I got to go out on a boat and see the oysters being farmed by Morro Bay Oyster Company. I got to go see Bill and Barbara Spencer, one of your yeah. earlier guests yeah. who are amazing they and talk are. about biodynamic farming. And I got to go out to Adelaide um, Winery and see the sheep, you know, a weed abating in mm-hmm. real time or the goats. <laughs> and I am so, so grateful that I got to have a bird, not a bird's eye view, a ground level view of like every nook and cranny of this county. And I feel so fortunate. But yeah, there would definitely be times where people are like, what what are you working on this week? And I'd be like, I'm thinking about the next week. Um, But as far as deadlines go, I've been in journalism since I was like 19. Mm -hmm. So I've always had a deadline. Mm -hmm. And I used to work at a biweekly newspaper. So that was like, you know, twice a week. And I was that? Uh, Paso Robles Press and Atasca at our news. Oh, they were when I was working there. And not only was I doing community news, like I would do like four or five community news stories. I would do editing, page layout. Uh, We were using Quark at the time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
that's like I'm smelling the time when I was using (laughs) quark. Yeah. And and also like I started out doing the red light roundup, which was, you know. Oh, wait, wasn't that like um, (laughs) it was cop stories, wasn't it? Or like weird stuff? Yeah, it's like the cop beat. Yeah. So it would always be like. Uh, like raccoon found in old lady's garage. Two oh. hours later, police arrived, like no raccoon on the scene or some more unsavory situations. Yeah. And so I've eaten the dog food. Mm. So doing new times was awesome because a week to write a 1000 to 1200 word story plus doing like a little bit of a bites or a, a Haley's pick, which was always right. a really fun thing. I mean, it was a lot of work. I put a ton of work into it, but having a whole week to me felt like, oh, that's actually not that bad. Yeah. I could tell, I could always tell that you put a ton of work into it. But as far as eating the dog food, I am on the exact opposite end of the spectrum from you. It is like, I am not fast. I take so long. It's, it's painful because you and I both know what we get paid. Right. And it's, I mean, for any kind of editorial, it's just, it was so, it does not pencil out. But I should pose a question to you, which is if you had a month to do a story or a week to do a story, how much better would your month, the month be? I wouldn't, it would not make a difference. Yeah, you're right. This is why, again, as a freelancer, 100% freelance, and I do lots of marketing, I have to impose my own deadlines. If you take your own deadlines into your own control and you really stick to them and you don't allow yourself the time to flop around and be like, "Uh, it's not good enough. Or sit outside and have iced tea for hours. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or do the dishes because you're procrastinating on the thing. That is the writer's biggest challenge. It's not that it's not if you're good because if you're not good, you can get better. Yeah. And if you really love the craft, you probably are pretty good Mm. or you're going to be good or get better at what you're doing. That's the simple part. That's the part you... You're, you got that. It's it's the stupid deadlines, and I still struggle with it. I'm actually working on a book right now. You are? Yes. I'm about two years in. <laughs> so talk about dead, self-imposed deadlines. I've made a new ritual where I go to Madonna Inn. Yeah. And I say, okay, I, I'm going to work on my book at Madonna Inn. I'm going to have one cocktail, and I'm going to write <laughs> for I one hour. I plan. <laughs> and write for one hour. I don't have kids. Yeah. I write for one hour, and I always end up staying for like, a lot longer than yeah. that and that has helped me because when I work you know working from home like it's really hard to delineate okay now I'm working on this marketing project so hard now I'm working on my book which is yeah. like super scary and-, and soft it's like a soft it's a project that's only defined by your own desire to get it out and my desire to not write it is equal to my desire to write it oh my gosh which is every writer's plight too yeah right from writer to writer I feel like you totally get what I'm talking about well in one year I feel like it's 51 percent I'm into the book idea and 49 percent not and then the next year I'll be 51 percent not into it and it's just it's like this constant I'm even still trying to decide what is the book about I don't even really know right what but, is your, can I ask you what yours is? Yes. Um, so I have a kind of a weird childhood detour that I took. Um, I was born in San Francisco and then my parents moved, or we lived in um, Redondo Beach, I'm sorry, Hermosa Beach, my mm-hmm. God, um, until I was nine. And then that's when my parents had the big dream to move to Atascadero and get property and horses. We had mm-hmm. Icelandic ponies and they wow. worked really hard to get there. We went from like a small apartment building to like they purchased a house between Atascadero and Morro Bay. Mm-hmm. And they're, they both were freelancers working for uh, Mattel. Oh. So they were able to do that. I think I saw that and modeled that early seeing my parents do that. Like they could live out in the, mi- the mountains or whatever, but still work for Mattel that was based in El Segundo. Are they designers? Um, they did some design work. Um, packaging it's kind of funny I don't really know exactly all this stuff because like <laughs> it's kind of evolved over the years but yeah, yeah it's mostly computer based okay. so working on computer stuff yeah. graphics packaging mostly like the corporate facing side not the um consumer based yeah. side so How cool deep that in they the- were like they made their own schedules they were available yeah. and it, well, and available to the animals and to all the yeah. upkeep of the place. Yeah. So I think I saw that. Anyways, I, I'm going really, really dark. I'm going real deep to get to this book, but right. I promise it's going somewhere. So um, grew up in Hermosa Beach till I was nine, came to Tascadero, isolated on a farm or not a farm, but like, you know, a rural property of mm-hmm. 36 acres, middle of nowhere, no friends or anyone around. It was a huge culture shock for me and I became very isolated, but I also started writing music. 
So that's how that happened. So Mm -hmm. I started um, playing lots of songs on guitar, learning a lot of guitar and writing my own songs. I always wrote as a kid to Mm -hmm. express myself, but that's when I really got into music and punk rock music. And being isolated and feeling disconnected from where I was and even the culture of a Tascadero at the time and like yeah. the, the late nineties. Yeah. I don't see that as like an easy fit there. I don't it know. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't a huge, terrible plight as a child, but whatever. Um, so when I was, um, 15, my parents divorced and my mom went back to LA and that was a very tumultuous time for me. I went back to LA with my mom and we settled in Redondo beach and I reconnected with, um, my, kind of life there and I was there till I was about 22 so that was like basically I just went back to the city mm-hmm. and a lot of music was happening at that time yeah. and right when I got into Redondo Union High School I met two other girls that were like we're starting a punk band mm-hmm. so I was in this punk band when I was in my early teens and I was basically wild on the streets like sneaking out of the house drinking like most teenagers but like I think I took it a little overboard and I definitely like went on this crazy wild streak in my life and so the book really takes place in that time period Mm -hmm. being that girl feeling lost not knowing what to do with myself but knowing I had this strength in writing and in music and I want the book to be an empowering story for other girls that may feel lost or may feel you know like they don't know what the future holds for them or their own worth. Mm -hmm. And I'm, it's really about my finding community in punk rock, finding music, finding my own voice as a writer. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. And that's kind of the gist of it. So it's nothing about food. (laughs) No. Yeah. No, you Um, seem like somebody who I, these are my favorite people who have way more going on than one thing. You're not defined by whatever one job you may have. No. Yeah. I mean, I loved new times and working doing that column, the flavor column so much. And I am such a food person Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty well traveled and grew up loving, you know, all kinds of food and probably more than most. Um, I still, I still write about food weirdly in my tour journals and stuff. Like I just went, got back from the Midwest. And so if you look at my tour journal every day, there might be a couple notes about how many people showed up at the gig or like how it went, but there's always a picture. I draw (sighs) pictures of the food that I ate. You draw them. I draw pictures. I think that's super meaningful. More (laughs) than taking a a picture with your phone. I just, well, I do that too, but I just started some, it was like a meditation (laughs) at the end of the night. I would be like, I'm going to draw the Coney dog, chili dog, or I'm going to draw the Chicago dog or the giant tenderloin sandwich that I got in Iowa city in a population of like 800. Yeah. And that is like my way of like food still connects me and grounds me mm-hmm. as much as I'm in the clouds and I do a lot of other stuff. It definitely like it is, you know how they say, I don't know who says this, but they, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who they is, yeah, but right. um, I've heard that like, there's certain percentages of things that give you joy in your life and, and perhaps like television or Netflix could give you like 20% of joy in your life, but it's kind of a danger if it goes into like 60% of your life is just consuming television. Um, I feel like food for me is like 40% of my life, like Mm -hmm. of my joy, my day-to-day joy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but you know know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. Well, and it waxes and wanes a lot. But I agree. I mean, there's something. You know what I mean? I do. And there's something elemental about there. You know that there are weeks or months or years where you kind of just eat passively. Mm, yeah. I mean, especially having kids. I. It's just, it's a constant battle to actually care about what I eat, to pay attention to what I'm eating. But when I do, it's super grounding. It's so, it's an elemental thing. It's a pleasure that can last far beyond the meal that I ate. So yeah, I completely agree. And that's the mark of a true food person. Some people aren't. And some people are like not music people or they're not into, I don't know, movies. I'm not into movies. Are Uh, you not? I'm not into movies. I've probably seen like, like two movies in the last couple years. My husband and I never, ever, ever, ever go to the movies. Well, that's why you're able to write a book. (laughs) That's why I'm telling you. We're obnoxious. It's like we sit down for a minute and then it's just obnoxious. you're off to the it's next. It's obnoxious. Thing. Yeah, it's a sickness, and I don't wish it upon anybody. Oh, <laughs> tell me about your husband. What is he? Well, I know that he had um, Dr. Keynes. Yes. So my husband is from a very small town in Carbondale, Colorado. That's where he was uh, raised, and he's a mountain man. Mm-hmm. So if anyone that knows Dr. Reed Kane knows that he's a little gruff. Yeah, he's a little rough. <laughs> 
he might walk with a little cowboy in his walk and he chews tobacco okay <laughs> carbondale i always feel like there i have to tell people this because they always think he's from slow like because he he's could been be here from forever. looking at it and yeah. yeah like he's been i'm like no this makes a lot of sense he's a mountain yeah. man he moved he also fell in love with um punk rock and that love took him to the bay area in the 90s where uh, the punk explosion was happening and bands like green day and rancid were mm. happening and it was like very exciting for him he was part of that community he's an artist as well um, he went to dis, um, design school and studied architecture. Mm. Um, he's a builder now. Um, and he he's, is. Yes, he's actually um, worked in as a, a construction manager and in building for about 15 years. Oh, wow. And when the economic downturn happened in 2008, um, he had just arrived in Slow. He thought about going to Cal Poly, but that didn't pan out. So he was like, well, there's no building jobs. I guess I'll just... Open. open a comic book store so he <laughs> makes op- sense yes! to me so he opened dr kane's comics and games about nine years ago uh it's now owned by his uh former uh employee and fr- and still friend to this day patrick hayes is still mm-hmm. carrying the legacy um but that was sort of like his you know midlife thing mm-hmm. you know he's a little bit older and so he was like this now or never so he opened mm-hmm. the comic book store and so he's also a musician mm-hmm country music and punk rock and that's how we met yeah was through music i joined his country band when i was playing banjo in a little bluegrass band called hayburner yes oh, i played banjo that's nice Old that's school. a nice skill i, I well i sold my banjo to buy studio time a couple mm. years ago so i don't play it much anymore but that's how we met Long story short, um, he's back in the building game. He just did the new nautical bean. Oh, on yeah. South Iguera, which Super I think looks fun. funky and yeah. fun. And he's um, doing some remodels and he's really happy just going back and getting in, you know, using his hands, building things, mm-hmm. doing, you know, real tangible work. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I called it the comic book minds. Yeah. When he'd come home. And he'd, I'd be like, oh, was it a hard day in the comic book mines? Yeah. And he's like, oh, shut up. A little heady, oh, like yes. a, all up here above it's, the neck. Yes, above the neck and also retail. Yeah. He right. basically created his own retail hell. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice work. Yeah. So I think, as I, you might agree that, with this, but I think at some point in your life, there are chapters and chapters end mm-hmm. and it's all about timing. And he's at that point where he's like, okay, I'm ready to... Um, to embark on a new chapter, as am I. Mm-hmm. And this is why we are embarking on a new hashtag van life mm-hmm. adventure. Okay, no. talk about that. <laughs> How, well, I mean, and there's other stuff like... You talk for a minute. <laughs> okay, I'll talk for a minute. I remember when um, it, it had to have been, I don't know, between five and 10 years ago, you had a gig um, cooking at the little inn downtown. Yeah. I, I can't remember what they're called. Garden that. Street. So I always kind of wanted to know whatever came of that. You were cooking. You were like a short order cook. I was. Yeah. That was like three years ago. Oh, was it only four? that much? I, okay. Oh, my goodness. And I forgot I even did that. Um, as a freelance writer, I hope listeners realize, you know, we do a lot of things to make money. Yep. I have an Airbnb. I do marketing. I took winery gigs. I worked at Cass Winery and Ancient Peaks Winery and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. one of those gigs was the Garden Street Inn. Yeah. And the cool thing about that gig was I basically had to get there like at 7.30 in the morning and make breakfast for either anywhere from like five to 30 guests because that's all the place could hold. Mm-hmm. It's like a tiny little Victorian little bed and breakfast. Cutest thing ever. Doesn't this feel like a romantic comedy? Like <laughs> I'm the chef and like... It Hugh, really does. Hugh Jackman like comes down the stairs and there are all sorts of international guests. And you have come. flour on your, on your nose yes. or something. Yeah. <laughs> I really did feel like kind of Julia Robertsy for some reason when yeah. I was working there because it was so quaint and the Victorian garden. Anyways, whatever. It what wasn't really like that. What they don't show you is your bank statement when you're like, ah, yeah, exactly. This isn't working. Yeah. It was just a part-time thing. and But it was fun because I got to learn. I love cooking. Mm. I, as you do, of course. You love food. You love cooking. Yeah. I love cooking. And I'd never really done a like hands-on cooking job where I was actually like in the mud, you know? And mm. so I wanted to be that breakfast cook so I got to make the menu every day that was cool and I got to make the breakfast and I learned about volume timing yeah, yeah. and making sure things are hot at the right time mm-hmm. I also learned I still can't make pancakes <laughs> I know this sounds crazy 
but it does and my husband crazy. is like what is wrong with you how can you not i made them this morning and they weren't done yet again right? especially you throw blueberries in there and it's like the i had my son had a sleepover so his friends here and they're like these are these are like dough on the inside every weekend i try and i just i can't quite get it right talk about food critic a kid with an un, like an, a not done pancake that is like the epitome of like they food have no filter critic. yeah of course yeah, they're like this is trash take it back <laughs> i think i've been told that this is trash you love to cook i love to cook do you okay so we did is, so i did a lot of eggs yeah, so yeah i learned i learned how to flip eggs and i also learned from the grizzled chef that worked there he was so awesome he used to work at um a place in alaska for like fishermen wow. so he was like he gave me details about yeah. cooking and he taught me I mean, I'm, I'm sure people have said this before, but he's like, Haley, brown is flavor. Brown mm. is flavor. Black is not flavor, yeah. but brown is flavor. And I still, to this day, I'm just like, I, I put enough butter in my pan. Mm-hmm. I know how to um, flip the egg without a spatch. Yeah. Spatula. Wait a minute. Oh, in the pan, like yeah. the flip with the he wrist. taught me that. And yeah. the brown is flavor, but it was just a fun little side job at like you do when you live in slow and you yeah. have to make money. Yeah. I want to take a minute to share about one of my supporters on the Consumed podcast. If you're listening, you're probably a fan of good food and good people, right? Well, coming soon, the San Luis Obispo Public Market at Long Bonetti Ranch will bring fresh flavor, fresh faces, and fresh inspiration to the Central Coast. Let me tell you, this is going to be a very big deal. Long Bonetti Ranch was established in 1880 and is named after George W. Long and Florino Bonetti. The ranch housed horses and dairy cows and produced grain, veggies, and flowers. The Slow Public Market will honor the Long and Bonetti family legacies with local purveyors of different foods and ingredients, ranging from a brewery and a cheese shop to tacos, coffee, ice cream, juices, spirits, and my personal obsession, bao buns. There's lots more to come, and it's all coming very soon. To learn more about the Slow Public Market or for information on becoming a merchant there, visit slowpublicmarket.com. Are you open to talking about money? Not numbers, but yeah. just like the nature of... Yeah. Okay. I I feel there was a period of time, and I think we chatted at one point about, I felt like I have an education, I have a skill, I'm decent at it. You're great. Thank you. You're very talented. Thank you. Um, but the money discussion is so hard because I feel kind of entitled to get paid what I think I'm worth. And trust me, I'm not out there like killing it. I'm just, uh, there's a number that I think I'm worth. And, um, and it's also a number that would help, you know, float our mortgage. Yep. But I felt like it was this unjust time period when everything, you know, online writing is just a joke. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I hate that. So I was just really sad and kind of angry that you can't make a living as a freelance writer anymore. Now I think I accept it more and I take marketing jobs. I take PR jobs. You know, anytime there's a space for copy, I can pretty much jump in. But how do you feel? I mean, do you accept that a freelance life or, or just editorial freelance for like magazines, newsprint, whatever, that that couldn't really employ you? Um. So in 2013, that's when I went full freelance. My husband said, you need to do this. I was at the time I was working for Passerables Press, Atascadero News, and a couple other local publications. And that first year as a freelancer, I made more money than I did working at that those jobs yeah. full, full time. But I will say the caveat is those jobs were paying literally nothing, even for full time work. Yeah. It was just really dismal. And it was, I mean, I was in my early 20s. So it was whatever. Yeah. I, it's okay. Yeah. You know, my husband um, owns a house, but, and pay, we pay mortgage, but it's not like I had a lot of overhead. Mm-hmm. But when I went um, full freelance in 2013, that's when I realized, okay, I can make a little bit more if I'm really hustling. Mm-hmm. And that means taking some marketing gigs and some editorial gigs. When I got into New Times, um, my pay did not really increase much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I continued to take more editorial things, but then I, that's when I really realized. I needed to do, I needed to supplement as a freelance writer, my writing income with marketing Mm -hmm. writing, meaning the back, anything from the back of a wine label to a blog post, to a website, populating a website Mm -hmm. to a a press release. And that's when I signed on with a couple different people like Solterra Strategies Mm -hmm. and uh, Parker Senpai and a couple other people were helping me out. I was able to kind of learn those ropes 
Yeah. Also Juice Media and Paso Robles, which is yeah. Dina Mandy has been a huge supporter of mine for the past like 10 years. And I've worked and done scripts and done all sorts of content for wine related things that's, that is very creative and yeah. fulfilling. And I found some marketing work can be fulfilling if you're working for the right clients. Yeah. Now in 2019, I'm working solely in the marketing field. Um, anything from Visit SlowCal where I do um, blogs, website you know, visitor guide, as you know, you also mm-hmm. do stuff for them. Um, That's a good gig. It's a great gig. <laughs> I love them. I do so too. I'm doing a lot of tourism work, but I'm also working with people in New York that, you know, there's a winery in New York that needs um, a new website. And my, my, my name has gotten out there to where I'm working with people that are not just in slow County. How cool is that? So I think, well, not to brag, but, no, I, but I, I think it's exciting. I feel like the, the, the thing that switched for me and the part of the reason why I had to ch- close my chapter on new times was I thought, okay, I get a lot of creative fulfillment from jobs like working as a food writer for mm-hmm. new times. I loved interviewing the chefs and the farmers and the artisans. I love that. But let's really get down to business. I need to make more money. Yeah. So I needed to switch over to full marketing and say, okay, my pleasure writing is my book. Yeah. It's right. my bands, Haley and the Crushers, my band. It's any anything else. And that could sell and make money too. But I don't know if you see this as sad or good, but I kind of made that mental switch in my mind that as a magazine writer, even people that write for magazines like The New Yorker, and spin and rolling stone they are not making a lot of money per piece so it is kind of like at some point you have to you have but i don't feel bad about it because as a musician it's the same thing Mm -hmm. people don't necessarily value i mean i when i look at my streams on spotify i'm getting a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a penny Mm -hmm. so uh, to answer your question i mean i got more realistic about it but I'm less mad and more just re- just resigned to the fact that our culture doesn't necessarily um, value any artistic like endeavor. Mm. Really, if you think about it, even novelists don't make that much money. No, they really don't. Right? They really, really, they don't. really don't. So, yeah. does is that like terrible that I'm kind of like thinking, oh well, no one makes money, but no, I think it's healthy. I think I was going through that partly because I had applied for a fellowship with a wine writing symposium. Ooh. Yeah. And I ended up getting it, which was really exciting. The problem was they wouldn't let you, you couldn't even apply if you had any kind of work outside of editorial. Oh my God. That's insane. And that was in 2018. That's crazy. It's so crazy. And so that's when I got really, maybe it was 2017, but I got very, um, crusty about that. Like, wait a second. Well, what do you expect from people? You went to a, like a real college though, right? You went to a real college. Do you have Not a diploma? Not really. I have a degree from a city college, a Long Beach City College in print journalism, which is laughable that I they even gave you that. who went there. Loved it. Great. Great yeah. school. But like, uh, did I spend a lot of money on my, on my education? Not really. Mm. <laughs> so I almost feel like the people that went to real schools were sold this bill of goods. We of were. Like, you are going to make it in the world yeah. and you matter and you're talented. And like, I kind of was I kind of already knew that wasn't going to happen yeah. in a way not that that makes it better but I was getting paid 10 cents a word at my first jobs in Long Beach and stuff doing writing so yeah. I kind of always felt like okay I'm gonna have to get something else out of this mm-hmm. creatively and or do commercial work and I've always done commercial work yeah I've never not done it and so people are see? like oh you make money as a writer I'm like well I've always I don't talk about it I don't yeah. Instagram about it yeah. it's not always as exciting but, but I you do, make a choice. I make a choice and I choose clients that I like. Yeah. And you know what? Marketing is magic. Yeah. It's magical. It really is. Yeah. You are playing with people's psyches and it's kind of fun. My husband gets really down on me. He's a little bit, um, what would you call him? He's just a little bit like, um, what do you call the end of the world? The uh, He's <laughs> apocalyptic. apocalyptic. Yeah. I love it. He is. He's like, um, he thinks that marketing is the machine. He does not, he likes that I make money doing it, but he does, what does that sound? Is it like an emergency thing? We're getting a, an, like an Amber Alert. Oh, as long as it's not an earthquake. No, it's not, I don't think so anyway. Oh my gosh. Where is it coming from? My phone is over oh there. Oh my gosh. Well, that's good. I'm glad that it's able to, <laughs> that's important news. 
if I if it were apocalyptic right now, apocalypse, I'd want to be doing my podcast. Yay! So that feels good. Um, yeah. So he is like he just he likes that the money comes in, but he will look at me sometimes like girl, you are messing with people when you, you know, just the marketing, like the wizard behind the curtain sure. kind of stuff. But do you like your clients? I do. Do you agree? Yeah. So for instance, I got proposed yesterday. Somebody like, cause I, I do marketing for the slow foods co-op, slow natural foods co-op. Oh, I do all their marketing. They're so good. They're such good people. I'm a fan. I've been a yeah. member for many years. So for me, it feels so natural. I love farmers. I love, I know all the purveyors really that, that yeah. are sold there. So it made sense. But someone was like, Oh, I really like what you do for the slow foods co-op. Can you do this for my, what I'm doing? I'm doing this anti-marijuana thing for youth and we're doing these drug PSAs. And I was like, I looked at it. And I could have said yes and yeah. whatever, but I was like, you know, this isn't my wheelhouse. Yeah. I don't do this sort of stuff. I also don't necessarily agree with some of the stuff you're saying about yeah. marijuana. So it's like my soul doesn't have to die a little bit. Like right. my dad was always, always told me um, he worked for Philip Morris for like one second, mm -hmm. not like for him, but like it was like a freelance thing, I think. And he always brings it up. He's like, Haley, if you ever have a client that makes you feel like you're the devil or you're doing something mm -hmm. really bad, just say no. It's no amount of money is worth it. You have to just, you know, stick with your values. Yeah. And so I don't see how that's bad. He just sees the, he sees all the like <laughs> mechanics behind and he's like, ew, he feels dirty. I need a shower. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, it depends on the company. It depends on the person. Yeah. Choose wisely. And also another great thing my dad said, if any listeners are struggling with their value of what they're getting paid is, I would struggle with dad. Should I ask for this much an hour or that much? Mm. What should I do? And he always said it's abundance minus fear. What does that mean? Wait, hold on. Your ability, your capacity for abundance, whatever that capacity for abundance is, because mm -hmm. it's all about how much you can handle, like yeah. how much you can really accept. Yeah. I mean, some people can't accept a lot of money because it, it makes them feel shame. So it's your capacity for abundance minus your how afraid you are to ask for it. And that's all oh it is. Gosh. And when I learned that, I started asking for money far above what I would normally ask or yeah. that scared me. Yeah. And he said, if you're scared, you're asking for the right amount. Whoa. Hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. been around the block. And so he's really been a great model to show me that because he still freelances for many different companies now yeah. doing web design and other stuff. So, um, thank God I had somebody who I could ask. Cause when people ask me that I say the same thing yeah. and they're like, what are you like? Oh, Ga that's a Gandhi. legacy. <laughs> no, but that's a good thing to share. Like even hearing it now, I think I have been afraid to ask, but you know, what's crazy is that in the past, I'd say year when I finally just kind of said, screw my fear, um, people have been willing to pay it. And I don't say that braggingly. I say that as like, I'm shocked, but I'm also, it kind of goes to show that we can't look at ourselves objectively. Absolutely. And money is math. It's not drama. Mm. And that took me a long time too. Cause I'm not a money person, not a numbers person. A lot yeah. of artists aren't, but it's like, it's just a math problem. How yeah. much do I need to actually want to do this? And if I don't want to do something that bad, I might ask for more because that's what I need and yeah. that's okay. And if, if that, if it doesn't work for them, then they'll go to you. Yeah. They'll go to someone else and that's fine too. I feel like math is, or sorry, math, <laughs> math is hard is what it is. Math be hard. <laughs> math be so hard for me. I mean, maybe that's part of my problem is I can't even add. Um, money is, it is drama for a lot of us. And for, like, you know, depending on the day, it totally is for me. It's fear. It's pride or it's anything else but you're right it is just math it's just yeah. numbers and at the end of the day if you're happy with what you did mm -hmm. whether it's marketing or it's your book that maybe no one will ever read or a blog or whatever then great yeah that's all you can ask for as a writer yeah and then when you die you get famous <laughs> we hope <laughs> I know it's this podcast I've said it on here before is just I didn't think anyone would listen to it and not not a ton of people are Yes. I'm so happy sitting here with you. Like I just, everybody that I have over, I think I'm having so much fun. There's so much joy in doing this. It's conversations that I, you know, we don't schedule conversations like this into our lives unless you're a writer and you're mm -hmm. interviewing someone. Totally. It tends to be pretty transactional and I just, like I, I can't not do it. It's been so fun. And you also have a podcast so you know how much easier it is than writing. I want to segue into that because- okay. What you just said resonates with me so much because 
I do have a podcast. It's called Sparkle and Destroy. I started it after Trump was elected as um, a vehicle. It's not a, it's not political, but no. it's a vehicle for women who are artistic and vibrant and have cool ideas to get together and support each other. That's why I started it. And it's funny because um, as I travel around the country playing music or meeting different interesting people, I ask them, oh, can you be on my podcast and we'll do a Skype interview. And it, a lot of people think that I'm doing the podcast to help other people, but really it's me talking to myself right, right. and what you're doing is showing yourself that you can do this right. and being um, an example of what's possible for other people. So I, that hit me straight in the heart. Mm. I, when I did my podcast and I still do it, I don't think about necessarily the numbers behind mm -hmm. it. I'm almost doing it for myself I totally so that am. I don't feel alone. Mm -hmm. And I figure if I have certain feelings about the music industry or, um, I talk a lot about like how to get DIY projects off the ground, mm -hmm. whether it's touring, whether it's songwriting. I've talked to like actually former, um, editor of new times, Ashley, mm -hmm. um, in, who lives in Seattle now oh, about she's her so book great. Yeah. And, and how she started her book and stuff like that. It's really a way to like echo in my own mind that I can do it too, mm -hmm. because we don't have it figured out. Mm -mm. None of your guests, you know, I've listened to several of your podcasts mm. and the, the through line that I love is a sense of like, nobody's out here trying to be like, I'm the best at this. I'm no. so, we all have like our weird little corners and our, yeah. our insecurities. Yeah. And I certainly do too. It's also, you know, even I hadn't thought about this until you just said that, but it's almost a way of, it's like anti-marketing in a way. We... It, Slow <laughs> has got the most tunnel vision, not tunnel vision, um, staring at its belly button in Ugh. terms of we're the best. It's the happiest here. Everything's so clean. Have you seen Monterey Street? Now, nothing against Monterey Street, um, the new building there, but it's aspirational in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I, I feel like, especially with food being what it is right now, somebody, I heard somebody say a while back that food is to this area what art was to the 80s where people like collected art and it was this thing that they talk about at parties and that's it's, so true and a status is. symbol and yes. a symbol of your wokeness and how cool yep. you are and how you know totally it is it's the it's like the yeah yes it's the canary in the coal mine I guess a little bit so so true we here get so obsessed with food and how pretty it is and how authentic it is and trust me I'm on that bandwagon totally but it gets a little precious. Oh my gosh. And when yes. When publicists, maybe myself included, start kind of spinning things out into an unreasonable orbit, I thought, why don't we have those people who are actually making it on to do the anti-marketing of like, no, look, I'm scared as hell. Yes. What I do, I'm never quite sure from one moment to the next if it's going to fail or succeed. Um, like I don't make money or I make a lot and I have a lot of shame about it. I don't like people. No, that's yes. the kind of thing yeah. that could actually help to weave a community into itself. Sure. So that's been my hope. I love that. I love that because yeah. I've seen from interviewing hundreds of people across this county in the food realm, a lot of it is people risking everything to do these yep. insane projects that are like absolutely crazy. Mm. As everyone knows, I mean, starting your own restaurant is probably the most risky, probably will fail thing you will ever do. Right. <laughs> and and it's in as far as like uh, return on investment, yeah, it's slow, it's yeah. painful, and that's if you make it. It's wild. People are like, oh, it's so crazy. You go on tour with a band. I'm like, um, it's so crazy that you started a, a, a restaurant and that you did a remodel on it. And you know, you added all this crazy stuff to the, it's like, oh my God, like that makes me, my, that might be the next thing I do that scares me hmm. in a different life. I'd love to, to actually start some sort of eatery thing. Yeah. But like two, like hats off to the people that are doing it. And yeah. like when they can come in and talk about how hard that is or even people that do CSA boxes and stuff for sure. Oh my gosh. Like even just growing anything from the ground and producing it and getting it to people is so believing insane. that people will buy the box. I think is yes. the part that, and all you see is the stupid Instagram final product, but I'm sorry, that is not 
what it is. Yeah. That's not what it is. Yeah. So I'm glad this podcast is like taking that filter off a little bit and I being so. like, yes, it's yeah. great. Um, we haven't talked much about your music and I really want to you. So in, <laughs> you don't have to, if you don't want to, <laughs> it's a huge part of your life and it's a huge part of our community. It I is. I appreciate that. And I also, I played music growing up. I was a music minor in college. Right. I forgot. I think you told me that before. Yeah. But I always want, I played kind of more in the classical uh-huh. vein. That's awesome. It, it is. Um, but I mean, songwriting and like, I don't know, some of the things that you wear on stage, like everybody, <laughs> every woman fantasizes about being brave enough to do that. And you do it with a ton of style. You bring grace to punk rock. Oh, (laughs) I'm melting on the chair. Just the visual. I'm literally like melting into myself. I just, I get so exuberant about my music that I'm very conscious that I can go on and on about it. So that's why I don't always throw it out there as the first thing, but I love to play music. I love going on tour. For instance, our last Midwest tour we did in April and May, I literally only brought vintage swimsuits. Oh my, see, this is what I'm talking about. Pantyhose, vintage (laughs) swimsuits and go-go boots and my sparkle Gretsch guitar. And I I thought to myself, I was packing. This is terrible. This is a terrible idea. (laughs) But there's don't do it. (laughs) But you locked it down. You're like, I'm just doing this. No other clothes. As a woman gets older, she becomes more dangerous because she becomes more, she cares less. And less and less. And to the point where I was like, if I need to buy more clothes, I'll just buy them in the Midwest. I'll buy them at a thrift store. So I I paint with this band, Haley and the Crushers. I've literally painted myself into a corner. My name is on it. I cannot escape any criticism or applause. And uh, I've created this whole persona around it that now this is my life. I love it. It's such a fun facet to play around in. It's sort of a surf punk sort of vibe and it's very joyful and fun. And it's a fun band. Mm-hmm. My husband's in this band, which is awesome. Um, so I painted myself into this little corner where I'm having a great time. But yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, can I turn it off now? Like, yeah. no, no, I can't. Nope. It's it, got a it's, life of its own. Now. And people expect that from you and you go even to a new city and maybe only 20 people show up, but they expect this woman. Haley. Yes. And yeah. to mount the stage, even if I'm feeling meh. What does that mean, mount the stage? Like a running start or something? <laughs> oh my God, I should do that. <laughs> it's so interesting how you you want to build this persona and it is you, especially when you're a stage performer. It's, it's like what my husband says, like wrestling. Wrestling personas are that person dialed up to 200. Yeah. And that's what you should be on stage yourself, but dialed up. And Not just, another person. No. Just and you let dialed loose. Up. And it's really funny how once you let that part of yourself out, um, you can't really get that back in. Mm. And now the, mo- whenever I come back to slow, I'm literally looking at my watch. If I had one, I'm a millennial, don't have a watch, but I'm looking <laughs> at my iPhone. Like, when can I go on tour again? When can I do more shows? Yeah. You start to really get addicted to that rhythm. Mm. And the rhythm of recording right now we have a new album that we just got mixes back and we're working on just the final touches on it when will that come out this fall awesome so like that rhythm is just almost like the rhythm of being published every week yeah it's so addicting and it doesn't get old it doesn't get old it feels so good to have something done yeah like getting a thing published and to say something and to yeah yeah, yeah, totally. So thank you for asking me about my band because oh, I can gush all day about my stupid band. But it's become, <laughs> I mean, from what I understand, it's become in the complement of your life, it's become a huge part. I mean, it's it like has. you're touring, you're writing, you're recording well, you all must, the time. You must do these things while you can. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's why getting in the van now feels fine. But when I'm, you know, 50, it might not. And Reed, my husband, is almost a fit. He's like 45. Yeah. So let's do the stuff now. Let's have fun now. Let's also make money in the crazy scrappy ways we can and try not to go crazy Yeah. with the split personalities. Yeah. Let's not do that. That's just where <laughs> I'm at. But again, I don't have kids and a lot of my friends are having kids. It's so mm. great to see them like raising these little humans. I love it. But that is its own band for my sure. God. Yeah. I don't, I'm not doing that stuff. So I'm able to filter all of my juices into my projects. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't make me, uh, more like busier or in any sense, my friends that are moms are way more. It's just a different rhythm. It's, It's, I mean, I don't mean to minimize it. Right. 
those early years are a lot. I mean, they're punishing. Yeah. yeah. But then after that, it's just a different rhythm. Yeah. It's just kind of slipping into something where, yeah, it's ju- it's yeah. just like, I don't even know it. There, my head is gushing open. I mean, there's a lot to say about yeah. that. But, but yes, yeah. it is. It's just a matter of it's all time management. Yeah. I mean, you know that. I'm, I'm like literally planning like, oh, I'm going to go try to go to Italy like next summer. Mm. Like I've been trying to do a lot of international travel lately yeah. too. And I have with my mom and my sister, I've made that a priority. That's a very expensive thing to do. Yeah. And like, that's just where my head's at. And that's just, I'm very like unapologetic about that. But I think people need to know that women have to make a choice. Like you can't lit- I mean, people always say this, but you can't have it all. Like no. you can't do, um, you can't be a rock star and travel and do a food column and do all this other stuff. You really can't. You have to make decisions. Yeah. Time and is that's time. Okay. Yeah. And totally. that's where we're at. Yeah. You know? And you've blocked it out where you did some this for this season and then you do some for this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, your time is precious. I really appreciate you coming, but I have one last question. Yes. Um, so let's say you're about to die. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and you have something that you want to eat. You can course it out. You can have one plate of food. What would you have? Oh, can I have multiple things? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this thing happened when I was in Prague over the holidays. Um, I was like, I think I was overcharged for this. It was a street food, but it was worth it. Like Mm. it it came out to be like $50 or something. I was probably overcharged. It's fine. (laughs) Um, It was at a Christmas market. But ever since I ate it, I know this is pretty recent, but ever since I ate it, I've literally been dreaming about it. It Mm. was gnocchi mixed with sauerkraut and this ham that was roasted on a spit. So it was really caramelized. So it was almost like a mac and cheese that was like tangy (sighs) and briny and sour and creamy. And it had that Parmesan, like the gnocchi. Did it, was it served in like a little cup or like a little paper, like a fries kind of thing? A paper thing on the street. I would have that. 50 bucks might have been worth it. Let's be real. <laughs> it was, I would have that, yeah. but my, my go-to of what I would, I mean, that's what I want like right now in my life because mm. just that was the last thing that like got me like, like really got my motor going mm-hmm. not to get too graphic, <laughs> but like, you know, when you have that thing and you keep trying, I try to recreate it like two yes. times and I'm like, why can't I recreate it yeah. correctly? Um, it's probably some weird mountain cheese that they used. Who knows? Um, mm. But my, my go-to, of course, would just be a nice plate of raw salmon, sashimi, mm-hmm. maybe with a little wasabi, maybe mm-hmm. not, but just like straight up salmon. Yeah. Just maybe a little rice with that. That's mm-hmm. it. That That's what I would really want. Like, yeah. that's just me, like deep down. Like the simple, pure. Like what a seal would eat is what I would want. <laughs> just like, give me the seal's food. I will have all of it. Tuna. But the salmon's my favorite. I like a nice fatty, like Toro, Mm. just raw. Yeah. We can make this happen. (laughs) But I don't want you to die anytime soon. But I think it shows my dichotomy and my personality because it's like the big old like cheesy hammy Like many, many parts. Yeah. (laughs) And then I like to think that, you know, deep down, I'm just a simple, just a simple seal. Simple seal. Okay, simple seal. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on Consumed. To get the latest in what's going on with the podcast, sign up for the Consumed newsletter at letsgetconsumed.com or follow me on Instagram at Jamie C. Lewis. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.